As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hi guys, it's Luke Bogacki here again with a shameless plug. Luke Bogacki Motorsports is not a mail order parts house. We don't keep everything that you need for your race car. You know what I do when I need wheels or ignition components or plumbing products? I call 1-800-CALL-JEG. I do that weekly, and I recommend that you do the same. At Luke Bogacki Motorsports, what we stock are select items from a handful of manufacturers. These are products that we depend on in our own cars. We're an authorized dealer for APD carburetors and fuel systems, for K&N filters, BTE transmissions and torque converters, Mosier Engineering, Autometer, Flowfast, AirTech, Oland Shocks, K&R Performance Engineering, Sharp Stuff Transcoolers, and Dead and Bear. If you're in the market for any of these products, give me a call. We stock common products, we offer competitive pricing, and more often than not, we can offer quality assistance and guidance. So give me a call at 256-679-8328 or find us on Facebook at Luke Bogacki Motorsports. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jed Pennington. He is Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, racers, and events in racing today. Big Jed, how you doing today, buddy? I couldn't be better, Luke. Hope the same for you, my friend. Absolutely. Um, today's episode, like, we're just going to take a look back. Um, in most circles, I know there's a handful of people that are still out there uh, racing this weekend as we record this. It's uh, it's Sunday afternoon, November 27th. But for the most part, the 2016 season is over. Um, and it's been a big year in sportsman drag racing. We thought we'd take a few minutes in this episode to kind of honor the major champions and winners throughout the season and touch on some of the bigger stories in our sport. So for me, anyway, the, the first place to start with that is, um, is kind of the pinnacle of sportsman drag racing, and that'd be the, the NHRA Lucas Oil Tour. Um, this year's champions were a pretty impressive group top to bottom, I would say. Um, your Superstock World Champion, NHRA, was none other than Jimmy DeFrank. Jimmy won it um, in probably the least dramatic of any of the NHRA championship titles. Like, it was, I think, officially decided at the Las Vegas National event, but it felt like it was done much earlier than that. And he kind of ran away with the, with the uh, championship, which was his fifth 
NHRA Superstock World Championship. Jimmy has won the title in 1997, 1999, 2009, 2012, and again this season all in Superstock. So um, winning the World Championship once is incredibly impressive. To win it five times in the same category definitely puts Mr. DeFrank in elite company without question. Absolutely. Wonderful guy, wonderful racer from a wonderful family. So definitely congrats goes out to Jimmy D. Uh, you know, in stock, um, it's well documented, but Jeff Strickland won the, the world championship there um, coming from Alabama, driving out west to, to secure it and had a, had a very impressive battle with uh, Brad Burton in a one race, winner take all race that, that happened, uh, you know, both of them put together a heck of a run I, I can't remember the exact numbers but I think you probably do Brad was 20 dead on uh, Jeff was teen dead on so um, really really impressive with everything Jeff had on the line with the trip the the family out there um, racing the Copo car and doing that for gmpartsnow.com was really impressive and um, we'll, we'll get back to more on Jeff a little bit later because he, he did something very, very impressive in 2016. Yeah, if it wasn't for Jeff Verde, Jeff Strickland would be the story of the year, no question. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, Supercomp and HRA, the championship this year went to Nick Folk. Um, believe it or not, I think most people, myself included, are kind of surprised to learn this is the first NHRA world championship for the Folk family. Uh, Nick had won... IHRA championships, I believe, on three occasions, if I'm not mistaken. He won Stock Eliminator twice and Top Dragster once. Um, but Jeff's World Championship came, or I'm sorry, Nick's World Championship came in very dramatic fashion. Um, and it's typical folk, but it is hilarious when you hear the recount of it on their end because, as somebody that I'm kind of like a closet keep up with this stuff kind of guy like I get really into the the championship battles so I knew going into Reynolds that it was a really long shot for Nick to win the championship but he had a shot um basically the way that that shook down Nick had one divisional event remaining to claim points uh and was I knew he was going to Reynolds Georgia just from talking to him um and he was trying to chase down Austin Williams Austin that same weekend would be competing in his last event to earn points at the national event in Dallas um, and what had to happen was Austin had to not improve on his score, and I believe he was bettering a third-round loss, so he had to lose first, second, or third round. And if he did that, and Nick won the race in Reynolds, Nick would pass him by whatever, like less than a round, two or three points. Um, so definitely a long shot, but you'd never bet against Nick Folk, or I don't. Um, and the no. way that that shook down, Austin lost. Austin made a great run. I believe it was second round at Dallas, and his win light didn't come on. He was like and dropped a 90 and it didn't work and meanwhile Nick rolled through the field at Reynolds and ended up winning the race and what I say was hilarious about it is talking to Nick after the fact he went to Reynolds not realizing that he could win the world championship <laughs> like as good as he is behind the wheel he struggles a little bit with math okay <laughs> they, they went there trying to lock up the division and maybe finish second in super stock like he had a great year in super stock and super comp but he had no idea that he could win the championship until like after the quarterfinals and i think it was strickland and ray Connolly came over to him and said you realize what could happen here and he's like no you're, you're adding it up wrong i, I can't win and they're like well we don't even know if we should tell you this <laughs> but you can win <laughs> so um it didn't uh it, and i have no reason not to believe the story but it didn't dawn on nick that he had opportunity to win the world championship until the semifinal round and uh so then he went ahead wow. and uh persevered and went on to win which is impressive in its own right so but yeah nick folk your nhra super comp world champion yeah, that one's been a long time coming. Very, very talented family for sure. No doubt. In uh, and, and Supergas, another amazing story. Uh, young Mia Tedesco, a 22-year-old female Supergas champion, um, just had a heck of a season. She's she's also a top alcohol dragster racer, uh, phenomenal bracket racer. But uh, Supergas seems to be uh, a very passionate thing for her and she's committed to it and obviously with uh, Catfish Jason Lynch and uh, Krusty and the, the folks in her team that uh, helped her get there um, that had to feel good for everybody involved of course dad Michael um, she uh, 
she really had a great season wasn't seriously challenged until tommy phillips made a late run she held him off and um you know to think about what she's accomplished at such a young age you know she she could end up certainly being the best female racer in the sport today i mean people would have that opinion i'm sure yeah i think you could you could make that argument right now in terms of strictly in terms of accomplishments like i'm not sure that there is another lady racer that that stacks up um what she's done in just a handful of years behind the wheel now is extremely impressive and with obviously highlighted by this championship yeah she um she doesn't make a lot of mistakes for sure she's uh she's very very talented young lady got a lot more of those ahead of her i'm sure yeah in comparison to what she has accomplished winning a world championship this barely makes a blip on the radar but she does beat me like a drum if that counts for anything so. well, i'm sure that makes her feel pretty good <laughs> i'm sure it does most anytime, <laughs> anytime somebody gets a win light on you it feels good Luke. um so then you got in the top sportsman category mike williams and you know very very interestingly enough this guy did it as a canadian which is difficult to you gotta you gotta commit to, to making a lot of travel plans and, and getting out there and really pushing yourself hard to do that from Canada. That's it's a tough feat, but to do it from Canada is really even more difficult, and Mike Williams got that done. Yeah, I don't want to misspeak, second. but particularly in the true sportsman classes, like, I'm not sure that's ever been done. No, that's probably that's probably right on. I'm sure you're right with that, but, um, you know, you got he's only the second top sportsman champion ever, uh, Jeffrey Barker was the the previous one and uh we all know how talented jeffrey is in that class but a heck of an accomplishment by mike williams and uh, you know he went out to vegas and uh, took the lead with a win in the first race and then locked up the title by going some rounds in the second race where he finished with a runner-up finish so no small feat with uh, so much on the line and uh, definitely again doing it from another country albeit one that connects to us is still very impressive <laughs> yeah no doubt it's i i've not made the trip but my understanding is that it's a long way from alberta to anywhere so just to <laughs> yeah. make the whatever 12 or 14 events is a is a feat in itself much less winning the world championship so kudos to mr williams no doubt all right our top drag extra world champion like we discussed earlier jeff strickland and i just want to try to put into perspective what Jeff accomplished this year okay for one there's only been one other racer in the history of NHRA sportsman drag racing that has won two world championships in one year so and that was Scotty Richardson he won super comp and super gas in 1994 okay so when you accomplish a feat that's only been done once one other time in history like obviously that's a pretty incredible achievement when you accomplish a feat that has been done one time by the guy that is, I think, in the minds of most people in our generation, if not the best driver to ever put on a helmet, one of the top two. Like, I think the ongoing argument of people in our generation is between Scotty and Peter Biondo. Like, just depends on who you talk to. But typically, they will, typically anybody that you ask will say one of those two is the best that's ever done it. And then we'll immediately say the second best is X. So... Jeff not only um, achieved this incredible feat that's only been done once before, but he also joins someone on that list of two that is arguably the best racer of all time. So putting that in perspective, like, wow, what an accomplishment. The second part of what I think, at least in my mind, makes this so incredibly impressive is the two categories that he did it in okay not to take anything away from what scotty did 22 years ago he went two world championships in anything that's awesome but scotty did it in super comp and super gas like two gas burning cars both classes run on the pro tree like you could the, the the driving style from one class to another is similar um you could take a lot of what you learn in one class and then come right back to the starting line in the other and apply it um, Jeff didn't have that luxury. Like, he's running the fastest class in all of sportsman drag racing and the slowest class in NHRA drag racing, in Top Dragster and Stock. In Top Dragster, he's running a Pro Charger car that's burning alcohol. He's letting go on the top bulb and bracket racing at 230 miles an hour. 
in stock, it's an electronic fuel-injected Camaro that's burning gasoline. He's foot braking on the bottom bulb and going, what, 940s at 150 miles an hour. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't pick out two cars in the pits that are much greater <laughs> discrepancy than those two. And there's nothing really that he could take from a running top dragster when he comes back half an hour later that he could apply to a running stock like the weather's not even the same one's on alcohol you know what i mean like and to me that just illustrates something that i've known for a long time having watched jeff for 20 years like he's just for lack of a better term like he's the most natural driver i've ever seen like everything that he does in the car just looks effortless from the way that he does a burnout in a dragster which if you've never done a burnout in a dragster is not like the easiest thing to master to his staging process to the way that he executes down track decisions like it just looks like that's what he was meant to do i've always thought that from the first time that i watched him race so it's fitting that he's the guy to accomplish something like this in such a wide discrepancy of classes and then the the coolest part of the whole story is like you had alluded to earlier like the drama that went into this jeff left home or maybe left straight from the million dollar race and went to las vegas um and when he was on the road he was leading the stock eliminator points by less than a round over brad burton um, was still very much that title in doubt. And he was third in the top dragster points and kind of a long shot to pull it off. Um, he, the, he runs the Vegas national event, didn't have much success, but that didn't matter for him in terms of points. At the Vegas divisional event in top dragster, he and Matt Driscoll both came into the event behind Steve Furr. Um, and they had to go two or three rounds to even pass Furr. Well, they both did that. And at that point, Matt was like a round and a half ahead of Strickland. Well, they're paired up on the ladder, um, fourth round, eight cars remaining. And the way that this shakes down, it's head to head. If Matt Driscoll's win light comes on, Matt Driscoll's your world champion. If Jeff Strickland's win light comes on, Jeff has to come back and then win the semifinal round. And he's the world champion. So it's basically mano a mano, one round to decide everything. And Jeff makes a great run. His wind light comes on. He comes back around in the semifinals, runs Jesse Adams. Jesse has problems, shakes the tires. It's a pretty easy run. Jeff gets that win to clinch the world championship, then ends up coming back around in probably the most anticlimactic final of his career and just wins the race for good measure, even though it didn't matter at all in terms of points. Okay, so that all happened on a Sunday in Las Vegas. Fast forward six days to the world finals at Pomona. Okay, Jeff comes into that race as the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, but he is done. He can't earn any more points. Brad Burton is the only driver that can catch him. Brad Burton has to win the fourth round to pass Jeff, and he's the world champion. If he loses fourth round or earlier, Jeff's the world champion in two classes. Once again, exact same story. Third round on the ladder, they're paired up. Okay, It's the complete reverse of the week before in Vegas. If Strickland's win light comes on, he's the world champion. If Burton's win light comes on, he has to come back around, fourth round, win one more round, and he's the world champion. Basically, mano a mano again, for the second time in six days, one round to decide the world championship. And like you mentioned earlier, I think that was exactly the run. Burton's 20, dropped to dead on, strips 15, take less than a hundredth to be dead on beside him. And what's even more impressive about that, that was the first class out Saturday morning. Like they hadn't been down a racetrack in 22 hours. And I guarantee wow. you, if we get Brad Burton on here at some point, he'll, I would assume he would tell us, like, that's the run I wanted to make. And Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> and Jeff finds a way to beat it. So, like, it just in totality, to look back at that, like, most racers never get the opportunity to make one run with everything on the line. Like, the world championship hangs in the balance of one run. Like, I've won two world championships. I've never done that. Never had one run where the winner wins, the loser loses, right? You go back, yeah. and obviously every round matters, but never like that. Jeff got that opportunity two times in six days and won them both. Like, how wow. just storybook. I mean, it's it's just incredible. And uh, the police escort back home in Red Bay, <laughs> Alabama, was just icing on the cake. I saw that on his Facebook page. That <laughs> was cool awesome. Was that? <laughs> A total surprise to him at that, but uh, he was unsolicited for sure. 
a very impressive guy you know known jeff a long time couldn't be prouder for him it's uh, something he's worked hard for and he definitely deserves it so you move over now to the nhra summit et champions and you know we've got some familiar faces there but um alabama well represented once again in the super pro category with timmy smith uh, we all know Timmy out this way, and he's a he's a guy who's turned on many many a win lights and and multi-time big buck champion, uh, highly accomplished racer. But uh, this is a bucket list thing, you know. This is um, something he's fought for a couple of times and come up a little short. And he got the trip to Pomona. His dad hauls the rig out all the way from Roanoke, Alabama, which was I believe about 2,300 miles and. Um, Timmy ends up getting it done in Super Pro category to be the national champ, which is a, a great accomplishment for a guy that um, has won a lot. But I think he he felt pretty special about that one. Yeah, no doubt. Like you said, that to to those of us that have raced with Timmy, that's no surprise. But at the same time, um, probably the uh, the pinnacle of his racing career to this point, as it should be. Yeah. Um, in the pro class, the uh, the win actually that that's fitting. The Super Pro class went to Alabama. That's your neck of the woods. The the pro championship <laughs> this year came back here to Illinois. That's my neck of the woods. Uh, went yeah. to a guy named Chad Isley, who I think in this area certainly is a household name and is certainly um, earning a reputation across the country. Chad actually this win was his second Summit ET World Championship. His first was on two wheels. He won the. Uh, DT motorcycle title in 2013 and I, I'm not mistaken he has been to Pomona at least one other time um, on a motorcycle maybe twice so no stranger to that competition no stranger to the championship it's just the first time that he won one on four wheels and Chad's a guy that uh, is just uh, uh, like in in baseball you got utility players that you can kind of stick in any position that's Chad I don't care if it's top ball bottom ball two wheels four wheels Chad can do it and um, to be able to do it on that stage is, is pretty cool yeah, no doubt. I'm very proud of Chad. Uh, he's, a, he's a bottom bulb guy. Um, obviously, probably better on the motorcycle than uh, he is in anything if you talk to him. But um, he is very impressive on the bottom bulb. And he, again, that utility um, feature for him is that he can get in just about anything or on, on just any about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very talented guy. Great to see Chad get that second national championship. Then you move over to the sportsman category. Um, you know, a guy that is seemingly winning it every three years since 2010, uh, Jeff Hepler. Jeff Hepler, excuse me, just got his third Summit Series National Championship. He won it in 2010, won it in 2013. Um, just a very, very impressive feat for him. He's, yeah, watch a, he's out a guy. That, right? That's his. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy that you talk about utility. I mean, um, mm-hmm. we all know Jeff Hepler can get in anything and and get a wind light and he took his big beautiful impala out there to to pomona and got it done in the sportsman category and you know he's a he's a guy that's also won a world championship in stock eliminator uh, in 1998 so very familiar with uh, being crowned the champion and uh, a guy that's uh, highly accomplished in the sport and you you actually mentioned him back in episode triple zero as uh, one of the people that were back at kennedale that you raced against uh, as a youngster or watched race as a youngster. So you've seen Jeff Heffler do a lot of great things. I've got some funny Jeff Heffler stories, no doubt, but he is just an incredible driver has always been. I spoke of Jeff Strickland as a natural. Um, that's the way I look at Jeff Heffler too. He started like a lot of those guys at Kennedale back in the day, actually racing on mopeds in the motorcycle class at Lord knows <laughs> what age, but, uh, but yeah, no, he's always been uh, a force to be reckoned with without question. Yeah, he's uh, joins Tom Clemmy as the only uh, three-time Summit Series national champion, as Tom did it in the ET motorcycle category. So, That's, uh, uh, impressive all... feat, and uh, something tells me Jeff's not done. No, no. All Jeff Heffler does is win world championships. That's what I've been saying for years. <laughs> so, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least briefly touch on our IHRA world champions. Um, the IHRA format, as most of you know, is way different. Like, it's not a season-long points battle, so to speak, that determines the world champion. Um, their season-long divisional points battles determine um, who is eligible to compete for the world championship at the uh, Tournament of Champions and Summit Super Series runoff, uh, which are contested in Memphis. And I have personally, I've never been a part 
of the Tournament of Champions. I say that. I was a part of the first one, but I never got to compete in it. We never finished the race in Rockingham, and I was unable to make it back for the conclusion, which was actually, like, the next year. Um, but I can just imagine, like, we talked about Jeff Strickland's one round to, to win the championship in both classes. Like, that's basically what the IHRA World Champion gets every year. Like, it's one runoff, one race, 32 guys, uh, or actually less than that, um, and the winner's the world champion. And I can just imagine, like, the electricity on that day has got to be really cool. Like, to me, there's nothing that I've ever done that compares with, like, the electricity in the air on Monday at Indy or on Saturday at the Million or, um, like, even the Jags All-Stars has some of that um, just because yeah. it's such a... Um, historic event there's so much prestige involved and obviously in a lot of cases there's a lot of money on the line um, I would imagine that the IHRA Tournament of Champions has a similar feel um, this year I was a little bit disappointed that that Tournament of Champions was on top of the million dollar race the, the Cars Million at Montgomery and because I know that a lot of the cars that the, a lot of the drivers that qualified for the IHRA deal like they're in a really bad spot then you can go to Montgomery and race for life-changing money or you can go to Memphis and race for a world championship. Like, who wants to make that decision? So I don't necessarily know that that's anybody's fault or whose fault it is, but in the future I would like to see those events separated just so those guys get an opportunity to to do both. Yeah, no doubt about it. (coughs) You had, you know, lots of champions to to briefly discuss there, but in top sportsman, it was Paul Mosley, and uh, Paul's a guy that a lot of people know for – the transmission, transmission work that he does and um he's uh he's a guy that's very well liked in the pits and well respected and uh, great to see paul get that and then top dragster uh steve fur what else can you say about fuzz i yeah. mean the guy just uh, talk about guys that just win world championships yeah fifth, uh, that's his fifth. fifth in ihra between um super rod and top dragster Obviously, most people that, that follow the sport or follow Steve know that his brother John, who um, was an IHRA icon and multi-time world championship champion himself, um, passed away earlier this year unexpectedly. So I can only imagine that this was a very emotional um, title for Steve and probably meant more to him in a lot of ways than any of his previous ones. Um, and just on his season as a whole, like, he was the man in top dragster like almost to an unprecedented level as i mentioned earlier um going into vegas he was leading the points in nhra and i'm fairly confident in saying that that's never been done no one's ever won the world championship in two sanctioning bodies in the same class in one year um so to just to have even though that didn't come to fruition for him to come that close to accomplishing that feat is absolutely incredible i would think uh, you have to give him the crown as the king of top dragster without question yeah, Fuzz is just one of those guys that always seems to be in the middle. It's just you always have to get around him to, to be crown champion, whatever category he's running. Uh, over in Superstock, Pete Diagnolo uh, from the Northeast, um, again, another talented racer that uh, accomplished a great feat. And in the stock, Daniel Young. Uh, Daniel's a guy that um, I, I believe we got to see a video of him winning his first stock That's race. That's in my was mind. That, was that last year? <laughs> I think that was the Gator Nationals this year, if I'm not mistaken. Was it the Gator Nationals? Okay. Uh, excellent. Excellent video full of some raw emotion. So that was great to see Daniel. And, uh, then, you know, you got the next categories, quick rod and super rod. A couple of guys you're, you're probably somewhat familiar with there. Yeah, yeah. David Schmidt, just a, one of the nicest guys at the racetrack and obviously a fierce competitor. Um, he won the championship in Quick Rod and his Miller Dragster. And then in Super Rod, um, Jacob Elrod, which most of you know a year ago um, and all through this season, he got to display the number one on the side of his uh, little Corvette Roadster as the NHRA world champion. Um, he finished in the top ten in NHRA again this year. And uh, he gets to keep that one on there for one more year as winning the IHRA World Championship. So that, uh, again, I don't, I'm going to say that, uh, I said earlier, I don't think it's ever been done in the same year. I can count on one hand the people, the number of people that have won championships in IHRA and NHRA. I know we talked about Nick Folk. I know John Vineyard did it back in the day um, in 990. Anthony Bertozzi's done it. The list is pretty short beyond that. Scotty's won in both sanctioning bodies, but that list is, I would say, it's less than 10 people long. Um, so that's that's an impressive accomplishment for Mr. Elrod, no doubt. 
Yeah, Jacob's ultra talented and uh, certainly happy to see him get another championship under his belt. And hot ride is Dennis Clark. Um, Dennis with another great year and accomplishing the goal of the hot rod world championship. And then you move over to junior dragster. Um, Luke, I know we've had some discussions about this young man, but uh, pretty, pretty amazing, talented young man here. Yeah, uh, Gage Birch wins the uh, IHRA World Championship in Junior Dragster and just adds to an incredible um, growing list of accomplishments, both in juniors and he's already started his career in, in full-size cars. Um, another one from that area, he and Daniel Young, who we talked about earlier, stock eliminator uh, champion, both from that same area, and that seems to be a hotbed of young racers right now. Um, but Gage is probably leading the charge as uh, somebody that we're going to hear and read a lot about uh, in the future in the sport. Yeah, kid's very talented. Uh, has done it all in juniors and uh, obviously moving on to the to the full-size cars now, and he is not backing up at all. He is uh, continuing on with great results. Uh, top ET uh, world champion on the IHRA side was Mickey Nelson. Yeah, racer out of uh, Maryland. And, and for those of you that don't know, the IHRA Summit Series runoff world champions, like that's a huge deal um, for his win. Mickey got a new American Race Cars Dragster, Turnkey, um, painted by uh, Jerron up there at, uh, at uh, I'm drawing a bunch. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, and uh, in addition to ten grand from Summit and a trip to Aruba, like that's a that's a pretty special prize package, uh, and and well deserved. You win that runoff against uh, the track champions from all around the country. So, huge day for uh, Mickey Nelson and for our buddy Vic, uh, modified champion, went to uh, to Vic Ellinger, uh, somebody that we're familiar with, not only through racing, um, but uh, Vic is who we deal with at Wiseco and uh, and who builds our, yeah. our pistons for both of us. So. Um, happy for Vic, and, and similar to the, the top ET champion, huge windfall. Uh, got a new Performax trailer, ten grand from Summit, trip to Aruba. So uh, very cool on Vic, very deserving guy, excellent um, and intense racer. And uh, like I say, just as a friend, happy for him more than anything. No doubt, Greg. Glad to see Vic get that uh, get that win and, and all the things that come along with it. And no offense to the Vega Luke, but uh, Vic might possibly have the coolest car in the pits. So. <laughs> I won't take offense uh, to that. He's got a Volvo. Two chassis Volvo cars are hard <laughs> to find in the pits, and his is really cool. And then uh, junior dragster, uh, young Allison Lloyd, uh, collected the world championship there on the HRA side, which, um, again, is an amazing accomplishment for her and, and got her a uh, a new junior dragster painted by Jerron Settles at Imaginat Customs and uh, $3,000. So a nice, huge early win in her career, uh, which had to feel pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about the NHRA sportsman ranks. We talked a little bit about the IHRA sportsman ranks. I think our um, wheelhouse, more than anything, is the bracket racing events, and particularly the big dollar events. What um, in 2016 stood out to you? on the big dollar bracket scene, Jed? Well, the, the amount of big dollar races, Luke, it's just, it just seems like there's one every week now. It's it's pretty amazing what uh, a bracket racer, especially on the super pro side, can run for on a weekly basis if they have the means uh, and funds yeah. to go do it. Um, certainly the foot brake side, there's more races than ever. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to be involved in a couple of those, but, you know, the guys at Loose Rocker Promotions are doing great things for the bottom bulb community as well. And um, Fetch and JP in the Northeast. And you've got um, certainly Lucas Walker and Charlie um, Lockhart doing their thing. So lots and lots of great races for the bottom bulbers. But, you know, I know Verdi's the story of the year, but... Uh, I know you don't want to talk about this either, but we need to take a couple of minutes and do it. Probably the next most impressive thing I saw behind Verdi this year was your 1-2 finish in the DRR Ultimate Series. Um, that was amazing competition. Uh, lots and lots of good racers showing up for that event. And for you to pull off the first and second place points finish uh, was a phenomenal, phenomenal accomplishment. Well, I appreciate that. Again, as you, as you figured, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it, um, 
it exceeded my wildest expectations and, and obviously when something like that happens you look back and see how everything just fell into place but at the same time I'm really proud of myself like more mentally than anything just kind of keeping that together particularly on the last weekend and performing at the level that I feel like I'm capable of um, and I in my race and operation I am the weak link without question I'm very phenomenally blessed to have the equipment that I have and the support that I have and uh, so it's nice on occasion to be able to hold up my end of the deal so I appreciate that yeah well that was uh, again as impressive a thing as I saw this year um, behind birdie so congratulations on that and uh, you know you um, you had a great year you won a dragster and a motor and all the other things that went with it but uh, from one of the other interesting things from my perspective is the resurgence of the door car. Um, I feel like I was there when, when things changed at the spring fling, the first ever spring fling when they separated them and, and, you know, everybody was like, well, that's an interesting idea. Separate the door cars and dragsters. And the intent was to get more door cars because there was a lot of them parked because of the, the seeming, seemingly disadvantage that we have in the door side. So that, that changed the game. I agree. So now the door cars are back. I mean, they're they're not only uh, showing up, but they're getting the last wind light. Uh, you know, uh, you got Nick Ross and B Rob 150K this year. You got Skinny Kenny with a, an amazing year that he had. The, the runner-ups in the big buck races, the the major races by the door car guys. Um, it's it's been fun to watch from a guy that that really uh, puts his heart and soul into his door car. Yeah, no doubt. It uh, it has been fun. And again, just uh, uh, for those of you that may not be familiar with the nickname, that's, that's Brian Robinson and, and Kenny Underwood, Skinny Kenny. Um, and, and, and there was a lot of fantastic performances by door cars, particularly you know, at the bigger races. Like you singled out Brian and, and Nick, both won $50,000 win races at Huntsville. There was two other 50 granders at Huntsville um, that door cars didn't win but they were in the final um gary may runnered up the 50 grander in july to mikey bloomfield um i think most of you are familiar with gary with his two-door station wagon and then yep. uh, just last weekend um the the season ender at huntsville was a fifty thousand dollar to win race won by blake richardson uh driving Derek denny's dragster but the runner-up was our buddy uh todd bones ewing in his little vega so again just more examples of that door car resurgence which is great to see and i think very good for our sport yeah, no doubt. It's it's definitely brought some door cars out. The the people that um, you know are getting those last wind lights are not necessarily people that had their door car put up, but at the same time, um, the more door cars we're getting at these things extends the the opportunity for a door car to be in the final, and those guys are taking full advantage of that. So, been a lot of fun to watch, and um, nothing against anybody with a dragster, but. <laughs> certainly had fun watching the door cars be competitive this year yeah i think if i had to pick out one thing that kind of stood out for me um outside of jeff verdi obviously um from the bracket season is like it shouldn't come as any huge surprise but the year that that scotty richardson had quietly um is pretty impressive and like we talked about earlier like scotty's resume is unquestioned second to none but he'd basically taken a couple years kind of away from the sport um or or we certainly didn't see him very often and then he showed back up this year with the with the unassuming um malibu dialed i think he goes 640s somewhere in that range and the next 20s i think 620s okay the next thing you know um like he dominated the 10 tuck series he still doesn't show up every weekend like he's his his racing doesn't seem to be a priority in his life but he was in a final every weekend of the 10 tuck the the last weekend when i was there he was in the final every day um he won the um the overall points championship and this was the first year at 10 tuck that they didn't just give the points championship to the the highest points earner which he was um they had a 16 car runoff of the top 16 and then just for good measure he won that too um <laughs> and on top of that like he was in a final at the million um he was in deep at darlington um at the world series of bracket race and there's probably a couple others that i'm missing um it's just i guess it just proves like it's like riding a bicycle like he just gets back on and does the same things that he's done and what's most impressive to me like watching him is we we've talked a little bit and i'm sure we will talk more in the future about how the game has kind of changed um like 
it's come back around to you just got to make really good runs because the technology and the drivers everything like that like the margin for error is slimmer so 10 years ago where the guys that were dominating were holding two or three every time that they staged and out driving the competition like for the most part the the better racers have realized that that window isn't there as much anymore so we tend to dial more honest and just assume like our cars are better than we are well scotty's winning these races and he's doing it just like he beat our teeth in for two decades you know what i mean he's still going two or three under and even though that margin is smaller like he's just tightened up and does that good a job like that to me is no surprise but just kind of hammers home like how impressive that guy is yeah, no doubt. He's uh, ultra-talented and highly accomplished, but, um, you know, you think at some point those skills start to diminish, but he, he's proven that wrong right now. He's definitely on top of his game, as good as probably he's ever been. Yeah, no doubt. But, obviously, the biggest story of the bracket racing season, and, and let's be completely honest, like, the biggest story in all of sportsman drag racing, and maybe the biggest story in drag racing, period, this year, has to be Jeff Verde absolutely um you know jeff as i was watching it play out the second time around i was telling the people you know when they're starting to give you the old who you got i was telling them it couldn't be done (laughs) you know even even though i love jeff and i think that he's a a guy that that you want to see win even the want to see him win i was like it can't happen can't be done Mm -hmm. and he he did it anyway to win both the million dollar races um you know and those those races being a couple thousand miles apart and six months a, apart yeah it creates a lot of difficulty in trying to get them done and he did it that he's definitely the story of the year yeah without question so it is our honor we could talk about him all day but we're going to do one better we're going to talk to him so uh after this quick break we're going to have a, uh, a little interview with the man himself uh, Jeff Verdi here on the Sports and Drag Racing Podcast. This is way alive. Banging on the door. Bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. This episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is brought to you by Racing RVs. Now, I'm sure at this point you've at least heard of Racing RVs. The Dayton, Ohio-based company is a big part of my own racing program. Racing RVs has been the major marketing partner on my Supergas Corvette for three years and counting. Racing RVs is also the title right sponsor of NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman, and the company is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing on all levels. Racing RVs own Joe Fisher, his wife, his father, his sons. They all compete in Top Dragster, Top Sportsman, Super Comp, and Super Gas. They have for years. So I would assume that if and when you're in the market for a new or used RV or trailer, you'd give them a call. If for no other reason than because they support our, our sport more than any other dealer. When you call Joe and the staff at Racing RVs, that's when you'll be really impressed. See, he's a racer, so he understands your budget constraints and your wants and needs. Racing RVs offers in-house financing. They take trade-ins. They do consignments. They've got new and used RVs of all makes, models, sizes, and price ranges. Whatever your needs are, I'd be willing to bet that Racing RVs can make it happen. So if you're in the market for a new or used RV or trailer, give Racing RVs a shot. You won't be disappointed. Call them at 419-236-1328 or visit online at racingrvs.com. Again, that's 419-236-1328 or online at racingrvs.com. So you can prove them all wrong. Only thing that matters is who turns the figure out. This thing on your mind when you wake. You've been waiting on this thing all day. This is where champions are made. Got a special guest with us today got the two-time 2016 million dollar winner can't even believe i'm saying that but i got to be there for both of them got jeff verdi on the phone with us today jeff the 2016 vegas spring fling million winner and the 2016 montgomery cars million winner how incredible is that unbelievable how you doing today jeff i'm doing all right i'm doing all right just uh a little more busy now that the season's over than than it seemed like when it was going on, you know, just got a lot of work to get done. But, uh, you know, doing good, though. Can't complain. I would say uh, you had a pretty busy uh, 2016 season driving across country, um, well-documented with the 
the dually and the open trailer and doing things that that nobody saw coming um tell us a little bit about that jeff that your your journey was to me as intriguing as the actual results you got well i mean it uh you know i've, I've made plans to go i wanted to go um from the year before and i and i kind of worried about my truck a little bit because it's a 99 but it, it didn't have but like 90,000 miles on it so i wouldn't you know, and I keep it in good shape, so I wasn't too too worried about it. But, um, you know, just kind of got everything ready to go and, and prepared as best I could. You know, tried to get a spare motor put together. And, and um, you know, my wife actually talked me into finishing the motor up so I'd take it with me because she was like, you're going to go that far and not have an extra motor with you or whatever. And, and uh, so I went ahead and got that done and, and had the truck just fully loaded down with everything you can imagine in the back of that thing and just uh you know my my longtime friend and engine man you know he, he actually told me he was going with me before i even asked anybody i mean he he just said i'm going you know he said he and i asked him afterwards after all this was over with he said i just didn't want to miss it if you did win it you know because i've known him since i was 16 and and he wow. of course uh got anthony bertazzi started in racing all back a long time ago and he he was there for a lot of big wins for him back in the early days when I wasn't even able to drive yet and I used to watch him at our local track and and I got to know him because of the Pontiac stuff and and uh so he you know he went with me he's a good guy to have with you because he can work on anything and he's he's a good talker we're talking about racing for 36 hours or whatever <laughs> riding out there so you know it was uh it was a pretty good time but you know um yeah you know, I wasn't I wasn't too worried about the truck and, and I mean it gave me some problems but you know, I really didn't have any worries when I left my dad. He was like, I can't believe you're going to drive, you know, all the way across country or whatever. Cause he of course worries about me a little bit, but at, uh, you know, I don't worry about stuff like that. Really. I just took off, man. and went on. Now, Jeff, what, what Jared had alluded to kind of coming into that was what you've accomplished obviously is unheard of and unbelievable and something that using Jed's words, nobody saw coming, but in talking to you, like, I don't know that you necessarily saw this coming and obviously anybody that drives 36 hours across the country to the race goes there with the confidence that they have an opportunity to win it but in talking to you like it's almost as if you felt like this was gonna happen like it was somehow meant to be is that a fair assessment or what what's your take yeah very very fair assessment I, I don't know how to explain it I've tried to think about it in many different ways and and you know I just you know from from the time I was at the Million for the very first time um, in 2015, it's the first time I ever went to a race of that magnitude, and I did pretty well. And, and I just for some reason I was like, I'm going next year to that race, and I'm gonna win the thing. You know, I just somehow, and it wasn't an arrogant thing. Mm-hmm. It just I knew I could do it. I knew it was gonna happen, whether I could do it or not. I just knew <laughs> it was gonna happen. You know, I don't know how how you can explain it, but I'm the kind of guy I'm, I work by myself a lot, and I'm I'm thinking a lot during the day you know, about racing or about, you know, things like that in general. And to, to go for like six months and actually be thinking about a race coming up and be pumped up about it for that long, it kind of gives you a good feeling all, you know, when you just start thinking about that kind of stuff, because it's what I really love to do. So, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, just, just, and you don't even know until it starts happening, like in the rounds start going by on that given night that, that's the night you win when you're not even really you know it's just clicking and you're not even paying attention to how many rounds are going by or what's going on or you're thinking about who you're running or what anything's doing and, and it's just it just happens and, and people that have won can f- know that feeling i'm talking about when they when they hear me say that because it's it's like all of a sudden you're in the final it's like you don't even realize it the whole day you've been there for 12 hours racing and, and now it's the end and and you know everything just kind of went on by just like it's supposed to and and uh but no just you know i've i've been doing it a long time but you know it's uh races like that i didn't start racing until about 2010 you know i started going to some bigger races and and you know i always had the same confidence either way but i just like running the people you read about in the magazines and running those type of races versus you know um the same old thing you get kind of in a rut running the same track over and over again which i love my home track and i love all the people there and 
you know, love all my friends that are there, but you just, you know, you run the same guy every week. You run the same lane every week. You're, you're, you know, it just kind of gets into a thing where if you start losing a bunch of rounds and not getting the win, then you feel like, you know, needed. It's just like a, like I asked my best friend here locally. I said, are we doing this out of habit or are we doing it because we love it? Because it's, <laughs> we, because we're both just getting beat down a lot at local races, you know, and we're just like, man, you know, uh, but just, it's like almost a habit. You're just going to go Saturday no matter what, you know. And, and But when you go out of town and you plan that event, you're like, man, I'm going to be gone for, you know, a week and a half or, you know, and different atmosphere, different everything, you know. So it's uh, I just enjoy thinking about that during the week or during the months before it comes up, you know. kind of gives you something yeah. to, you know, shoot for or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. All right, now – Typically, when someone wins an event like this, much less two in one year, the response from the the masses, so to speak, is is almost like a resentment, like rooted in jealousy. It's always, well, if I had X, I could do that. I don't feel like we really get any of that with you. And I think partially it's because you've accomplished so much with seemingly so little, you know, I mean, your door car open trailer is, is well documented, but I think a lot of it just has to do with like you and your personality. Like you're just so laid back and so real, like you're just a dude that's easy to like. Now (laughs) have my impressions, like in terms of most competitors kind of embracing your success been accurate from your point of view? And if so, like, what's your explanation for that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's been real, you know, uh, just the amount of people, you know, when I go in my hometown to Wawa and people are say, are you Jeff Birdie? Or you come out of a restaurant and are like, hey, you Jeff Birdie? That Wawa, you know, they, that's an East Coast thing for the rest of you. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's yeah, a gas yeah, station gas with station, a convenience yeah. store. Right, okay. And cool. uh, <laughs> But going to a restaurant to eat, you know, and, and we and we had three people in one night when I was coming out of the restaurant say, Jeff, congratulations, you know, hey, man, you know, and just like <laughs> uh, didn't even know them, you know, and I was like, man, these people are, you know, seeing me like on the news or whatever, and then, you know, uh, they kind of, more people got into watching online you know, I've had so many people that watched both races online and just loved it, you know, to, to see that happen. And, and, you know, I go, of course, to, you know, Home Depot and places like that and people in there are like, yeah, Jeff, man, we saw you on the thing, you know, and just, just, just it's really cool, but it's also kind of like, wow, I don't even know these people in there <laughs> saying stuff. They know who I am, you know, which is, which is really neat. But, I mean, I only had a few, and it's just a little vibe I get from a couple of racers that, maybe they're you know like you said a little resentment or jealousy and they think he's lucky and all stuff and that's fine i mean i am lucky i mean you know i can't say i'm not i mean you know everybody can see the runs and the announcer announces the runs and it's like you know they i they need to realize that those people that might get a little jealousy or or you know think certain things you got to remember how many races i lost and how how much i put into this over the years versus just oh he won the big race and um, whatever, and it's like, well, you know, he's 20 on a tree, or he's this. It's like, well, everybody goes 20 on a tree every now and then. Yes. Everybody does this. Yeah. Everybody no, breaks it's... out or runs over the dial. And <clears throat> But they're so used to the people that I'm talking about, really, is the local level guys that don't go to those big races or might go to one every now and then or, or race around here at big money races. And, it, you know, they're getting beat with 10 <clears throat> package, and, you know, you know how bracket racing is. So they might feel like, you know, I can't win with those lights. I can't win with that. You know, how does Jeff do that? Or, you know, he's lucky or whatever. And that's the only time I feel like I hear a little bit through the grapevine or whatever about people. And I can, I mean, I, I know it myself by seeing what I kind of runs I put down that people could say that. But, you know, it doesn't really bother me because, you know, what me and my engine man talk about is when when I pull to the line, the guy in the other lane knows that he's going to have to do something decent or good you know, it's it's not. I'm more than likely not going to give it to him, but I'm not going to lay down something killer either. You know, because that's not how I set up racing. So, if you know they have to do their job, but you know these some people just swing for the fence every time, and I don't do that. So, yeah, it's, no, it's like Alan you know, Reinhardt says all the time. It's a right place, right kind, right time kind of sport. Like I don't know about yeah. about either of you guys, but I don't know that I've ever seen anybody win a race period much less a race of that magnitude where they're just double and dead on 10 times in a row like it just doesn't right. happen you know i mean you're right. gonna have a a slip up and get away with it 
and at the same time at some point you're going to make an unbelievable run that beats a really good run in the other lane the timing of it all right. just has to be right so exactly yeah <clears throat> um now jeff i don't know if this is necessarily a great correlation but it's what keeps coming to mind for me um back what now almost 15 years ago poker became popular on tv and like i became a fan of watching poker on tv and i think a lot of people in my generation kind of did the same at the same time in 2003 it was the first time that espn like did a television special multi-day television special on the world series of poker and a guy by the name of chris moneymaker won the main event with that tournament coverage on espn and this like the name itself is awesome like chris moneymaker like you couldn't script that right the guy won two and a half million dollars but he what was so cool about his story was like he wasn't a poker shark like he wasn't a pro from vegas the guy was an accountant from nashville and he was likable to the extent that you could get to know him on tv and i think most importantly like folks could associate with him he was the everyman people like me sat at home watching that on tv and thought i could do that and with him like the poker boom was born okay when he won that tournament in 2003 he won two and a half million dollars the next year the world series of poker doubled in entrance okay in 2004 it paid five million the next year it tripled it paid seven and a half million and the growth has just kind of continued ever since and it's not just that huge what one huge event like that's the million dollar race of poker but the sport i don't know if you'd consider poker a sport but whatever in general like it has grown um monumentally since then and they kind of credit that with the quote moneymaker effect now bringing that idea back around to drag racing like jeff i think that you would agree you're an incredible driver but i don't get the impression that you consider yourself like an elite driver and you've got a great car but it's not necessarily anything above or beyond what everybody else has and i think what's most important like you mentioned earlier is that over the course of those two events particularly in montgomery like you made good runs but you didn't make great runs and i think most weekly bracket racers sitting at home watching that on the live feed had to say to themselves man i could do that so i guess my question like do you think it's possible to think that your wins could have maybe not like i don't think the millions are going to double an entrance next year but do you think it could have a positive effect on sportsman racing just with getting some more of those local competitors to realize that they can be competitive at that level i certainly hope so i mean you know i see it you know 60 cars on a weekly basis down here that can run um you know half of them at least could go to those races and be really competitive maybe more i mean they lay down good runs all the time and or or you know what i do and and it um you know i think it it could definitely it definitely could give them the feeling of you know they could do it because i did it you know i mean I, i definitely would think that i don't know um the traveling you know that's the main thing people can't do or won't do you know it's like going all the way out there it's like from here it's like really kind of <laughs> kind of crazy but you know there are events that are closer by and a lot of guys run the, the the 10 granders and 20 granders and stuff like that and there's a lot of that going on but a race of that magnitude is not even about the money it's the win of that race and and i think that you know that pull should bring more cars you know and i think people kind of need to get back to that because there's plenty of race cars parked in garages right now that mm. a lot of my friends that are older that have kids and stuff like that, I know those cars and where they're sitting at, you know, and it's like they they, they just don't race, you know, hardly anymore at all or, or haven't raced in years, and they're good racers. But I feel like, you know, something like that, just say, hey, look, you know, a few times a year we'll go hit these, you know, go to that race and make it like a vacation or make it like a something you've never done that's exciting to go do because you got a shot at winning. I mean, that's basically what I said about the race in Vegas was that, you know, I was laying down some decent runs and I had a few really good runs, but it's nothing that anybody else couldn't do. You know, I ain't gonna say easily, but it's, if I can do it, definitely somebody else can do it, you know, cause like you said, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm not a, not what I consider a heavy hitter, like whatever. I don't do double O on both ends. Like people try to do all the time. So it, um, 
I think you're a heavy be. hitter now, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> denying it. You're a million dollar winner in the same year. It's pretty darn impressive, you know. And you, you know, as well documented as the simplicity of your setup is, Jeff. Uh, we don't want to give anybody the impression you just some guy threw his stuff together and threw it on an open trailer and, and went to right. the right. two biggest races of the year. You, you post on Facebook, um, sitting in the driveway with your practice tree out at night so you know the difference in night and day and you put a lot of work into your program you you're a testament to taking what you've got and making it as good as you can whether that's the talent inside of you or the the vehicle that you're operating but you're you're definitely a guy that's maximized what you have and i think that's really impressive oh thank you yeah i mean i you have to do that i mean really it's you know, I haven't practiced lately at all. I haven't had time, or you got to make time. But <laughs> this winter, I'll go back to practicing again. You know, but it's uh, it's kind of like one of those, you know, things you just have to make yourself do as far as because everybody's had a practice trail. Most people get one and then they hit it for a little while, then they put it away and they, it just never comes out again. And they think, you know, they don't need to. But and I thought that way for years because I felt like, you know, I'm hitting the tree okay, but it's not even about the numbers or hitting the tree on a practice tree that's to me it's just the confident or the comfortableness you are in the car once you do it on a practice tree over and over again right. so building up that routine know, yeah and to me like my car is a little you know yeah it's got a power glide in it but it does have a pontiac engine in it which most people don't have and, and but a similar engine to the pontiac engine is a you know basically a a big block with with a lot of torque not a lot of horsepower that's what you that's the difference so you know my car is real consistent because i use the torque of the engine and have a you know pretty tall rear end gear in the car and different things to help me work my you know deal out how i run you know but people you know listen to what i say about my car and they don't want to apply it to their car or they feel like it's wrong or whatever until because it's just not what people normally do with jetting or timing or any of that stuff so you know but as far as the maintenance on the car i keep a good you know jay's logbook all the time every write down everything i used to not write down anything as far as runs on the axles or runs on the gears or runs on anything i used to not keep that but now when i was in the summer super series runoff first round i broke an axle and i was like well you didn't pay attention to how long they've been in there you know so uh, that cost me you know at that time the biggest race that I was trying to win, you know, and so now I keep all that, you know, information on valve springs and everything. So, you know, it's, as long as you keep up your stuff, then when you get an opportunity to win a race like that, you don't have a, you know, axle break or, or something. You know, it could happen, but, you know, you definitely got to do the preventive maintenance. We call it buying insurance, you know, <laughs> spending that, you know, seven or $800 on a set of lifters instead of 250 you know, because you're going to those races that you're paying that much entry fee run there's no reason to have you know cheaper parts in your stuff because you just can't afford it yeah no to me jeff like as jed mentioned like you're the epitome of what bracket racing is supposed to be all about and i think that we've gotten lost in it in recent years and thinking that you've got to have a fifty thousand dollar race car and a hundred thousand dollar rig and a quarter million dollars tied up in your racing operation what really makes success is obviously there's a there's an element of good timing involved but it is making the most of what you have and paying attention to details and and um making yourself as good as you can be and your equipment as good as you can be and you're a testament to that like i think it's a that above all else is what makes your story so awesome so congratulations to you once again thank you for taking a few minutes to join us here today and um and and being a part of the the sportsman drag racing podcast no well thank you for having me on and i'll you know be glad to talk anytime (laughs) thank you jeff thank you you come out like the world champ you've been waiting all win along hearing them go on and on so you can prove them all wrong only thing that matters is who turns the big well, that wraps up our episode one. It's uh, been a great episode. It's a recap of the 2016 season. Certainly like to thank Jeff Verdi for joining us. Uh, great interview with Jeff. Uh, this episode's part of a three-part launch. Make sure you listen to episode triple zero 
which was our introduction episode and episode two on junior dragster racing. Yeah, again, our goal um, with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is to release a new podcast weekly, every week of the calendar year. So uh, stay tuned for plenty of great content going forward. And folks, be sure to subscribe to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. You get them on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. So make sure you tune in, subscribe to us, and do us a favor. Rate them, review them, listen to the podcast. Let us know, because that's how we move up in the rankings, so more people can find us. Absolutely. And finally, be sure to join the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast fan page on Facebook so that you can interact and become part of the conversation in future episodes. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll check back next time. This way alive. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.